Hello and welcome to another edition of Prospect to be Named Later. I'm here with Kyle Reese and I'm Colin Garner of Cards Conclave. Kyle is with Birds on the Black and we just got done with the blogger day at Bush Stadium where we got a chance to, to kind of hang out with some other people on, from Twitter and other websites that we interact with a whole lot and, and talk to Mo and ask him some questions. So I figured we just kind of get started with that. So Kyle, what was your biggest takeaways? I think a lot of people have kind of recapped it, but I think yeah. you always have a little bit of an interesting take, especially from a minor league perspective. What stood out to you? Uh, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot that stood out. I know that this sounds crazy, but I, I guess my major takeaway from it is, you know, Mo knows that things are messed up right now. He knows it, and he can feel the heat. There's no doubt about it. And there's only so much you can say or so much you can ask and not get an answer. The one thing that I keep going back to is, A, uh, 1A, I blew the opportunity to ask him and Mr. DeWitt about how they feel about paying minor leaguers more money. I, uh, that's a big failure on my part. It was the first thing that came to my mind when I got home that night. Uh, I'm embarrassed and disappointed in myself for not asking. Uh, and then the second thing was I, I had asked the question about uh, Mo prefaced when he went on his little rant at the beginning, you know, he, he gives his, like, State of the Union. He talks for about maybe two straight minutes uh, about what's going on, where he sees things, tries to get out ahead of some of the questions we might ask. And in there, he talks about bringing players up and making sure they play. And because of that, I, I, I said in my question, hey, you know, you said that, and here we have Andrew Kisner, who only played three times in 10 days, and Mr. Schultz said that, Kisner was, you know, going to be more of a traditional back, playing a traditional backup role. I asked him if there was any aggravation uh, or any type of, you know, uh, if he was aggravated at all about the way that some of these guys are being called up to the majors and not playing. And he gave kind of an answer and said, well, it's going to be a 50-50 split for Weeders and Kisner. Uh, and then that question was immediately cut off. Like, he answered the question sort of without answering it like he does. And then that, it was at that moment when Bill DeWitt III, like, jumped in and I started asking about the rule changes and, and what rule changes we would be, like, on board for. And it, it was distracting, and it I think, I believe that that question completely forgot the pace of the entire thing. Like, we were kind of scared to answer, ask questions at the beginning. We were going, and then, like, that question kind of got it going a little bit, and then it was completely just shut down. So that, that was my takeaway. You know, Harrison Bader isn't going to get traded unless they're blown away, I would think. Uh, they're not going to re-sign Marcelo Zuna. And they're just as disappointed with the performance of the team on the offensive side as we are. That, those are my takeaways. I think that last thing you said is really like every time I talk to Mo, that is what I come away with is that as frustrated as we are as fans watching them night in and night out, He's even more frustrated, and we don't really see that because we see him talking before the game, and it's a professional setting, and he's just really trying to convey facts, not his uh, feelings, I guess, more or less. And you could see it on his face. Like, he was frustrated. He's 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 very frustrated with this team. Um, I don't think he expected this to happen. I think this is very unexpected. And they just seem a lot more human. And, you know, when he kind of sits down, it's like, yeah, we – this isn't the season that we expected. This this isn't good enough. We set our standards for 90 wins, which, you know, I kind of think is a little bit low these days. But anyway, 
Like they're just as disappointed as we are. And it takes the wind out of your sails. Like you can't go in there and like grill the guy after he admits like this isn't what we expected. This is a this is a bad season so far. And the other thing that he talked about that I just thought was kind of weird. I don't know if it means anything, but there's a couple questions. I know I asked one about just kind of what Michael Gersh does, because I don't think I re- I know I didn't know. And I think some other people might not have known either. Um because we kind of just see him at the press conference sitting there, and he doesn't really answer a question, and uh, he might get lobbed a softball halfway through. And he talked about like creating a line of like basically like a line of succession for when Mo leaves. And there was another question where he mentioned like not seeing his face around anymore, which I just thought that was just kind of surreal. Like I didn't expect anything like that. I haven't heard any other comments along those lines from him you know, on a, on a radio show or anything. So I was really kind of surprised. And that's kind of what stood out to me was like, I don't know if that was a case where he feels like he's under pressure from Mr. DeWitt. And if they don't make the playoffs this year, he's going to be fired. If he's looking for a way out because he doesn't feel like the organization is as strong talent wise as they were. But either way, it was just a really just odd couple of points that he made that I think kind of got overlooked in some other things. I know Amimi and Musial, they didn't, mentioned it they did a great job recapping it so if you want to listen to that that's great but it was just really weird to me i don't know there were a couple different weird things the pacing was weird you know uh and you're right i did listen to meet me at mutual uh yesterday and they did an amazing job of the combo of gateway uh and meet me at mutual with tara and allen and, and c70 and they did a great job of recapping it but it, there was a pace to it that was different and I think that that started when Mr. DeWitt and Mr. Mudalak decided to kind of take the stage together, if you will. That, that was a whole different thing. It completely changed the dynamic. Uh, and I, I think that there was a different crowd in there than, than potentially in the past. You know, I think that there's people in there who are, weren't afraid to ask questions. And I think that there were some people who didn't exactly know what questions to ask. And I, that's not to, like, that's not to like damn them or anything. I just think we all know that you can only get so many answers. And I think that you get in that setting, and we're given that setting once a year, and we're grateful for it. But, you know, it would be awesome to have something similar, more than that, not in like a party suite kind of way, but like, a, hey, maybe we can talk to Mo for just a little bit here and there or something like that. Anyways, uh, it changes how you can approach the question. And you know that you don't want to be the guy who just asked that one question that everyone knows, and it, it's just going to get the circular answer. So you get in there and you're trying to ask questions and then you don't know who's going to ask the next question. And Mo does such a good job of going into the room and giving that two minute intro that really does answer all of the questions that you might be able to ask. And sure, you can get a little pithy in your question asking and maybe like try to be smarter than Mo, but you're not smarter than Mo and you're not ever going to get the answer that that you want. He's just going to give you whatever answer he wants. So you just try to find a question that's really interesting and hope for the best. And uh, I think that by and large, the, like I said, the pace was weird. Well, sitting there with Mo and DeWitt at the same time was weird. It just it didn't it just it didn't feel freeing. It didn't feel like you were having that one conversation. It, it was a very very interesting and unusual flow. And you know, my question was, it, we were about 35 minutes in, and that's when no one really had any more questions exactly. And I really did wonder at that point, how long would the two of them sat there? Like, Mo usually sits there for a half an hour, and Mr. DeWitt usually sits there for 15, 20 minutes. Last year, 
uh, he went into like the, almost the beginning of the game. Like they were about ready to do the national anthem, and Mr. DeWitt was still in that. Uh, filled with a third, by the way, just to clarify for the audience. And it was a whole weird thing. It was like this time it was just a little bit more weird. I, I don't know why. I, you know, I think Tara nailed it at a gateway where she was saying it was almost like the two of them came into the room so that they could almost protect each other in a weird way. And, you know, I don't know. The dynamic was weird and it was off and it was off from the get go. Yeah, the idea that they were protecting each other, that's the first thing that my cynical mind thought of. And, and the last thing I'll say about this, we can talk about actual baseball. I saw some stuff on Twitter where people were thinking that, like, we were taking ourselves, like, super seriously when we are there. I can't speak for anybody else, but I know that when I go, I look at it as it's a free ticket from the Cardinals with free food and free booze, and I get to see a bunch of people that I interact with on Twitter 162 times a year, and that's the one time I see them in person mostly, and you don't really want to be the guy that just grills Mo. Like, that's not our job. That's not why we're there. It's a fun thing. It's a, it's a fan thing. Um, and that's the last thing I'll say about that. There's a big long Twitter thing on there. I'm sure you saw it. Um, well, so here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing about me. Uh, if I can just, there is something I want to say here. And it's, it's important that people like know this about me because I think that there's a, a, like a Twitter persona thing. My interaction with Twitter is a little bit different than most people. I don't have notifications set on. So like, I don't get updates on my phone. Like I don't follow, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't get the forwarded, like, oh, you have a DM from so-and-so. Oh, somebody liked your tweet. Like, I don't have that set. I don't do that. Generally, my interaction with Twitter is I get on Twitter, I post something either A, informative, or B, that is just so off the wall that I can't keep it inside because I think I'm funnier than I actually am. And then I will interact via my notification, uh, the little bell thing at the bottom of the phone, uh, with the people who chime in. I very rarely ever scroll. I very rarely ever see anything. I don't know what's going on. What I know for a fact is anybody who takes to Twitter and says that they would grill John Mazelak if given the opportunity doesn't know anything about how the world works. <laughs> and if you're the type of person, hold on, if you're the type of person that would do that, you're not doing it because it makes sense or because it's smart. You're doing it because you're trying to put yourself ahead of the pack. You're trying to get your name out there. You're at that point. You're Skip Bayless. You're not an actual living, thriving human being. You're just trying to be a talking head. Uh, and I'm sure that there's people out there in the blogosphere that want to be talking heads. Uh, I am a talking head in a weirdest possible way. I understand it. But if you're in that setting and you do that, then not only are you Skip Bayless, but you're actually a trash human being. And I, I again, I don't know who was tweeting out what. I know that Shop Talk got some blowback which was ridiculous i mean if there's he's the nicest man on earth and if there's one human being on the twitter verse that should not get any blowback in any capacity at all it's daniel shopka uh so any any blow if you're the and then which brings me to my next point if you're the type of person to have actual real angry feelings at shopka about anything then you you have unresolved both resentment and anger issues, and probably some jealousy issues on top of that, that you need to work through. And that's probably not fair for me to say. There are plenty of issues that I have to work through uh, that I'm trying to, but those people are trash human beings. And whoever you are, I, I'm sorry, I don't know, but uh, you're trash, so get over yourself. Okay, let's talk about baseball now. Um, yeah. So the last, the other thing I want to talk about, I've, sent, I've tweeted a few things about it lately, was the Harrison Bader situation. Um, 
like the move that everybody is looking for is a Rosarena for Bader. Makes sense. He has really good numbers in the minor leagues. He's not on the 40-man, but I think that there's a pretty convenient move that they could make to get him on the 40-man. Is that correct? Uh, there's plenty of moves that they could potentially make, yeah. Okay, I'm thinking like Justin Williams, possibly. Um, well, they could even put Gamber on the 60-day DL, like as a, short, a short-term move, you know? True, that's a good point. So I was looking at Rosarena's numbers in A. He's hitting 309 with a 422 on base and a 515 slug. In Triple A, he's hitting 358 with a 426 on base and a 558 slug. In his last 10 games, he's 9 for 36, good for a 250 average with two homers. Obviously, Bader's struggles are real. They're pretty severe. In the last month or two, I think he's hitting under 150. Seems like every night he comes up in a spot where there's guys on base in less than two outs, particularly third base, and he can't you know, get a fly ball into the outfield or a ground ball to score the run. Um, so I guess my question is this. One, I think you would make the move for Rosarena. Two, would you consider moving Harrison Bader? And three, is there anything a Rosarena's done in the minor leagues that might be different this year that, you know, maybe I haven't seen because I haven't had a chance to watch a whole lot um, that is just really, that really stands out? The one thing with Randy that is is definitely uh, you definitely notice right away with him when he's playing. Kellen, I don't know how well you remember 2017 and watching him at Springfield, but he just had a command at the plate. Like he he never, unless it was early in the count, he would never overswing. He would take you know the the pitcher's count, the ball on the opposite on the uh, outside half of the plate to the opposite field. He just had a really solid approach and a very strong confidence about him in 2017. That kind of went along in 2018. Uh, what I feel like I'm noticing is he looks a lot like the hitter that we saw in 2017, not the hitter we saw in 2018, and he looks alive. Uh, he doesn't look exhausted by the sport. You know, he he's played baseball nonstop since the beginning of 2016, competitive baseball, and he looks like he's well-rested. In the month uh, that he missed beginning of the year, the regular season, after breaking his hand in spring training, I think really gave him a chance to start over, to, uh, you know, to get his feet underneath him and to, uh, like, rejuvenate himself, to get a little bit of rest and, and launch off of that. You know, here's my thing. It goes back to the, one of the questions that I asked Mo on Saturday. I'm all about bringing him up. I'm all about playing him in center. I'm all about playing him in a corner, whatever. Just, if you're going to bring him up, he has to play. And, sure, you, you, you sub out Harrison Bader for Randy Rosarena, that's fine. Is he still going to play? That's, that's my concern. Because I, I believe that it'll be more of a timeshare, and Dexter Fowler will play center, and Jose Martinez will play right. And Randy will get a little time in center and a little time in right. And hopefully Tyler O'Neill keeps playing left every day while Marcelo Zuna is hurt. Uh, but I just want a guarantee that he's going to play every day. Hell or high water. If he strikes out three times in a game, he gets the next day. Like, that is the only thing that matters to me. That's what I want to see. Uh, you know, people hate Dexter Fowler. Dexter Fowler's played a really solid center field this year. And I don't think you could guarantee that Randy Rosarena would play as good of a center field as Dexter Fowler has played this year. 
I think you could also argue that Randy Rosarena is a better, well, you couldn't even argue, he's a better corner outfielder than he is a center fielder. He'll take some weird reads, but he's a good, good corner outfielder. He's best suited for left, which is another question. You know, what do you do next? So the, 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 the short of the long is, yes, I absolutely am all about getting Randy to the majors. I want to make sure he's playing. I want him leading off, and I want what's best for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, if he's not going to be deployed like he should be, then no, don't add him to the 40, man. That's a waste of time. Uh it's just not worth it to get him up here and to sit and use him as a uh, a bench option where he gets five plate appearances in five games or something like that. Like, he has to play. And then the question about Harrison Bader, you know where I've been on Harrison Bader since the beginning. I love the guy. Uh, he's maximized all his tools. I'm impressed by that. He's better than I ever thought he would be, especially defensively and on the base pass. But he is the type of player where his value is tied into defense in a day and age where teams potentially overvalue where the defensive metrics sit. With a big hole in the swing that doesn't have the same power or production in it potentially as Tyler O'Neill. And I view Harrison Bader right now as the type of guy that you would think about trading uh, because of where the game leans and what teams are willing to overpay for. But again, He's a cost-controlled asset, and you really only trade him if you can guarantee that you're going to upgrade your team. So that's where I'm at. How do you how do you feel first off about trading Bader? So I I'm not opposed to trading Bader, like just at all. What I'm opposed to is trading him right now when his value is at the lowest. We traded Tommy Pham when his value was at the lowest, which is the question I asked Mo. Maybe this year has shown the front office, and I think it would be for a good reason, that maybe Harrison Bader isn't the center fielder of the future that they marketed him as in the offseason. And you hope maybe he finishes off this year a little better, next year he starts off strong, and then you trade him when his, when his value is a little higher. Um, I think the last thing anyone wants to see is them trade him now, get pennies on the dollar from what they would have if they would have traded him, say, last year. And then he figures out how to be a 250 hitter with a 330 on base and still play great defense and run the bases and be a three or four war player. Um, that's what I'm worried of. I'm probably a little gun shy from the Tommy Pham trade because it still hurts to see the, his numbers all the time. Um, so if in the right deal, yeah, I'd probably move him. But it would be, I think last year's trade of Pham would make me a little more hesitant to do that this year. Um, and then on the Randy Rosarena point, I think I'm as big a Matt Carpenter defender as anyone you'll see on Twitter. But I'm willing to try literally anybody in the leadoff spot right now. Like I like Fowler, sure, go ahead. Jose Martinez, I, you know, it might work. I don't know, but it it can't be worse than what they've had. And so the idea of calling up a Rosarena, putting him in the leadoff spot, put him in left, right, center. If you have an outfield of Tyler O'Neill, Dexter Fowler, and Randy Rosarena, I'd say that's probably going to be a pretty strong defensive outfielder. And then you're and then you got Jose Martinez off the bench in a situation where you can kind of pick and choose your spot to use him, especially in late innings and for relievers who generate a lot of swings and misses. When you know when Jose Martinez is good, he's finding a way to put those balls in play that other guys you know have more of a chance of striking out against those types of pitchers. So, yeah, I would definitely do it. I think, you know, on his defense, I don't know where I'd put him. It sounds like, you know, you've watched him more, and right field or left field would be better 
uh, particularly left. I don't see any reason why you can't roll with Randy and left, Dex and center, and Tyler O'Neill and right, and uh, try to at least play the hot hand. And you know, if you bring him up for a week or two, and he plays every day and he doesn't hit, you know, send him back down. It's fine. It's not a big deal. No, no, uh, no loss there. Yeah, and especially with you know an obvious forty-man decision that you would you know you wouldn't have to clear anybody through waivers. You could just easily put. Gomber on the 60-day, and everyone's happy, and it gives you a little bit of breathing room, and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. To your point about moving Tyler O'Neill to right field and having Randy play left, like, that almost makes more sense anyways, because if eventually Marcelo Zuna comes back, if he's healthy and he's ready to go, he's going to play left, and if Tyler O'Neill keeps hitting this way, he's going to play every day. So you might as well throw him in right, because more than likely that means Dexter, Dexter Fowler's going to be your starting center fielder. So, yeah, I'm, I'm about it. I'm about it. But he's just got to come up and play. That's all that matters. It's awesome. You know, I, I think about Tyler O'Neill, right? We're getting production out of Tyler O'Neill right now. And the reason that the Cardinals are getting production out of Tyler O'Neill right now is because he's playing every day for the first time, and he's doing it healthy. We knew that this was, like, you and I knew that this was going to happen. People doubted it, but I was always pretty confident that this was going to happen. I tried telling people, just let him get the at-bats and see what happens. But... Would it have happened if Marcelo Zuno wouldn't have been the one, would have been the one, or if anybody other than Marcelo Zuno would have gotten hurt? No, absolutely not. They would just have run with the options they already had, called Lane Thomas up, he would have sat on the bench for two weeks like he did in the past, and gone down in the minors when someone eventually got healthy again. The only reason this works out, the only reason he's given the opportunity right now is because it was Marcelo Ozuna. That's the only reason why. Uh, you know, which makes me think that, Potentially, the only reason Randy could really and will ever get that shot is if Fowler gets hurt for an extended period of time or Bader. Remember, we're bitching about Harrison Bader's ability to get on base, to get base hits. But the Cardinals are very happy using him as a defensive replacement, and they're very happy using him as a base running replacement. And they're very happy with the type of production that he is producing uh, based mostly around his hustling defense and base running ability. So... You know, sure, we want more, but the Cardinals definitely see a lineup that's full of options. And a 25-man roster that's full of options, that doesn't need Harrison Bader producing. And, and again, that's, that's my assumption of how they're viewing it, uh, because they have the, the, the numbers, maybe not necessarily the right people. So the last thing I'll say about the outfield situation is I hope they don't let Jose Martinez get in the way of making the right decision. Because his defense is obviously not great. And offensively, I mean, honestly, I'm just, I haven't been like incredibly impressed in the last couple months. So, you know, he's, he's a good pinch hitter. He not necessarily hasn't hit like an everyday guy. Like, don't let him be the reason you don't make a move to help you win. Because as we've seen the last few years, every game matters and you can't afford to, to give any away. So, Next thing I had is I know you just finished the Dirty Thirty Five midseason update. Um, just you know, what what was your biggest takeaway? If you had to just stress one thing about the system as a whole, like what would that be? It's uh okay. So one thing, the pitching is bad. The pitching's bad, and that's you know that's why the Cardinals went college pitching heavy in the draft. The pitching is bad. It, you know, once you get past. Ryan Helsley, who has health concerns, Hennessy Cabrera, who has control concerns, Evan Krasinski, who has 
concerns. My boo, Angel Rondon, who looks like a potential major leaguer right now. You know, Griffin Roberts and Zach Thompson. What you're really hoping for is that the players that don't necessarily, the pitchers that don't necessarily have big tools, big breaking balls, big fastballs, end up taking just large steps in their development. Uh, that, I mean, there's, there's plenty of other takeaways, but if I had to ask someone to leave with one takeaway, that would be it. That would be it. it it's The pitching's bad. In the 2019 draft and the amount of college arms that the Cardinals selected uh, could end up being the, the edge of the sword. If, if these guys develop and can be major league contributors, which I believe about four of them have the chance of being, uh, then it was a great draft, an important draft, and it did exactly what it was supposed to. But if it ends up only being Zach Thompson and maybe Tony Losey, uh, and maybe even only one more of those guys, then it, it did not work out the way that they wanted it to or the way they needed it to. And the Cardinals are going to be in trouble as their pitching gets older and they don't have the reinforcements to replenish it. This is an organization that used to be really deep with pitching, and right now it's not. Uh, could be a different story in a year. Uh, most of these guys, because they're collegiate pitchers, will start off as starters next year at the full season affiliates. That'll be exciting stuff. Uh, but the reason that all of the organization affiliates are terrible this year uh, is because the pitching's been terrible. And the hitting hasn't been great either. Very few guys have taken steps forward, both hitting and pitching. Other than the guys that we knew would. We knew Carlson would. We felt confident Rondon would. Uh, but there hasn't been a lot of guys. There hasn't been like a lot of cr- cream raising, raising to the top, like reaching the top. Like that's not happening. So uh, it's a down year in the organization, and the pitching's been terrible. And once you get like Helsley, Hennessis, and like Lane Thomas graduating off the list, uh, you'll look at the dirty thirty-five or any top thirty or thirty-five prospect list, and you'll you'll say, "Wow, this." organization is really depleted of high-end talent uh, and just the depth talent-wise that they've had in years. What about the guys like, you know, Junior Fernandez, Alvaro Cejas, uh, Johan Oviedo, who's pitching tonight? Like, what, pitching those guys, field. yeah, he's doing well tonight. Uh, why is Margavicius in double-A? Is he on a rehab assignment? Yeah, I think that's, it's got to be, right? Uh, yeah, it was, blew my mind. He's pit, he, the Springfield is having about as good a time as St. Louis did with him. So that's good, I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he's doing well. Those guys who were kind of, you know, a couple years ago in 2017, we said the Cardinals have a hole coming with their pitching depth in the minor leagues. And the hole is here. And one of the things that you consistently said was that if those guys all develop, that hole won't be quite as deep and cavernous as it might otherwise be. So how are those guys doing? I, I mean, I know you, you talked really positively about Fernandez, Oviedo, and Sejas. I know a little bit less about what's up with them. Well, you know, with Fernandez, he's officially a bullpen arm now. Uh, the Cardinals, he was great in Springfield uh, this year, got moved to Memphis, was great at first. He's still great. Statistically, he looks good. Uh, his velocity is still up in the high 90s, touching 100. So that's all positive. But the Cardinals used him quite a bit, or Memphis, rather. The Redbirds used him quite a bit uh, upon his promotion to AAA. And you could definitely see him starting to fatigue in his most recent appearances. Uh, again, this is a guy who 
miss an entire calendar year between uh, like June of 2017 and June of 2018 because of shoulder fatigue issues. And uh, so, you know, they push him to three in the third innings and 50 pitches. And then they give him a one inning appearance three days later. And then they give him a two and a third inning appearance two days later. And he throws 45 pitches. And then his next appearance, he lasts in a third of an inning and can't locate the strike zone. And then his next appearance is a little sketchy too. Uh, so I, I guess just dead to, you know, with Junior Fernandez, his stuff is there, the velocity is there. Let's just make sure he's being used right. One thing I say in my Dirty 35 write-up of Junior Fernandez, it's simple. He's here. He's right on the precipice. He's not on the 40-man roster. Let's get him to the majors. Let's not waste any more of his bullets because his stuff is ready. He's not all of a sudden going to have – his command's not going to get better. His pitches aren't going to bite more. Uh, like, it's, it's not like he's all of a sudden needs the time in Memphis to be able to develop all that. You know, he, he has command similar to Jordan Hicks. Like, it's not amazing. It's not – terrible all of the time. Uh, and he doesn't throw like a slider that Hicks has or the high octane fastball sinker thing, but he has a high spin uh, fastball uh, four seamer that rides and gets on hitters hard. And then a changeup that's one of the more underrated in the entire organization and a slider that when he's mixing it in appropriately, although he doesn't command it particularly well, uh, it, it's a good pitch. So I say, get him to the majors, get him to the majors soon. Uh, use him appropriately. Instead, of course, they'll mess around with Mike Myers, and you know we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, that, that's Junior Fernandez is ready. But remember, part of the issue is starting pitching depth, and with him moving to the bullpen, uh, Alex Reyes being perpetually hurt, Austin Gomber being hurt, uh, the Cardinals not really having a plan per se with Ryan Helsley, and Ryan Helsley sort of being hurt. Uh, it's hard to really like. It, it, the, the Cardinals have that hole that you're talking about, which brings us to the, like the two most important arms in all of this: Alvaro Cejas and Johan Oviedo. Cejas has taken a step forward in his development. His body is in better shape. He's attacking hitters better than he has. He's showing mental maturity uh, that he hasn't shown in the past. All of that we love. Uh, his breaking pitch still gets a little crazy. He still doesn't repeat his motion all the time. But for a 20-year-old that who just made his debut at Palm Beach last weekend. Like, he's doing good. He's doing good. You still don't really know exactly what his future is. Uh, if you're hedging your bets, you're going to say he's a bullpen arm. Uh, but he's tracking in the right direction to still make a major league debut. That's great. The Cardinals need that. They need that desperately. Johan Oviedo is the true wild card of that trifecta. He, you know, we talked about it last year, but in Peoria at the end of the year last year, he was solid. He was amazing. Uh, he was terrible in the first half, got it all together. The one thing that stood out this year at the beginning of the year is he did a tremendous job to get his body in shape. You know, he's six foot six. He was kind of a doughy 240, 250 last year. This year, my guess is he's a, a pretty muscular 230. He's doing a great job of, of repeating his delivery, uh, although, you know, he still has command issues, which you would expect out of a big 21-year-old. Uh, what's really impressive about Oviedo and one of the concerns over the last couple of years with him has been his velocity and being able to hold his velocity throughout a game. Well, he's doing it now and without concern. You know, it, there was a start, a couple starts there where it was in the low 90s, his fastball, uh, but for whatever reason, it ended up rebounding. And like tonight, I want to say in the second inning, he was hitting 97, uh, you know, 94, lifting like the 94, 95 range definitely winds it up. 
his, his changeup can be really good. Just lacks consistency. Same with his curve. He throws a curve and a slider. I, you see the curve more than the slider. Uh, it's better than the slider, although the slider can be really sharp. And it's trekking in the right direction. He, he got promoted to Springfield six starts into the Palm Beach season. He probably wasn't ready for it. Uh, although he was completely dominating Palm Beach, he only let up two extra base hits and six starts, and uh, like a batting average against of like 198 or something like that. Uh, but it, it took him a handful of starts. So I think almost 10 starts, right? It would have been like right at 10 starts uh, at, at Springfield to kind of change how he was pitching and adjust right and maybe wind down a little bit and just pitch instead of like trying to pitch as a 21-year-old at the double-A level with pure excitement. Uh, and it's been really impressive over his last three starts in particular, including tonight, which I'm now I'm not watching. I'm walking around my apartment. But um, he's looked good tonight. He, he, he just he does look like a potential starter in the future. You know, he you don't want to put too much pressure on a 21-year-old's shoulders, but he looks like he's ready to continue to take those steps. So of those three, you know, Junior Fernandez is going to be an important bullpen piece for the St. Louis Cardinals moving forward if you stay healthy. Alvaro Sejas is a bit more of a wild card than the other two. Uh, needs to continue to uh, uh, develop and mature. Uh, really encouraging signs over the last year from him. And now he's at Palm Beach. And Johan Oviedo uh, is uh, I, could end up being a very, very fun poker piece. Uh, big arm, big body, starting potential. Again, if you're hedging your bets right now, you're saying probably a reliever long term, but might end you know with high you know middle of the rotation stuff potentially. Uh, so of those three, like Fernandez is exactly where you would hope he would have been other than, you know, wanting him to be a starter. And uh, the other two are tracking, are tracking rather, in the appropriate direction. It's amazing that Johan Oviedo is still 21 years old because I feel like we've been hearing that name for a long, long, long time. So that's, but that's encouraging. I mean, those are the, I mean, they're going to need those guys to continue to develop if they're going to be successful. The last... Yeah, it's crazy. It, well, it, it's crazy, like even Sejas, right? Because the Cardinals signed Sejas the year before they signed Oviedo. And Sejas, you know, is 20 freaking years old. Even Junior Fernandez, Cardinals signed Junior Fernandez in 2013, and he's only 22. You know, it's, it's a total mind F is what it is. It's almost, it's almost like they should reform the way they sign players out of the Dominican. It's almost like they should not sign and instead draft. Yeah, it's crazy. So the last thing that I – it's kind of a philosophical question, honestly, and Derek Gould finished with it on the most recent best podcast in baseball. He asked the guy from the Diamondbacks, Mike Farron, if the Cardinals make the wild card game and lose, is their playoff drought over? Oh, absolutely not. The playoff, and not in my mind, the wild card game is a play-in game. They played for the opportunity to play in the playoffs. That, that's, that, no, the wild card, the, the uh, playoff drought is not over. Not, not to me. Uh, that was just the opportunity to play for the game. I agree with that sentiment. I think on a technical basis, you did make the playoffs. It's technically a playoff game. But the Cardinals as an organization, they, they tell us that, or at least their history suggests that their goal isn't to make the playoffs. Their goal is to win championships. And if you're, going, if you're trying to be a team that has a legitimate chance of winning a championship, then making the wild card game and losing is not 
a good enough season to say that your drought is over and everything is fixed. But I have a feeling if they do make the wild card game and lose, we will hear all about how they ended their October drought. Unless, of course, the wild card game happens on like September 30th, in which case <laughs> it was their playoff drought. Yeah, I, to me, I just I view the wild card game as a play in game. I don't view it as a playoff. It's a it's a play in game. And sure, if they want to get into the semantics of it all and say they made it to the postseason, and it is technically the postseason, uh, staying with the semantics of it all. It's it's after the season, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. So is game one sixty three, and that's not the playoffs. So it's kind of it's, it's a it's a mind trip. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. If you had to guess right now, Colin, do you think they make the playoffs? I mean, if I'm a, if I'm making a bet, I say no because that's just the most likely outcome. But I will say that I feel like I've watched these last six or so games since the All Star break closer than I've watched any games all season, and you can see the formula for how they get there. Goldschmidt's yeah. had a really good July. He has like a 600 slugging percentage and like a 400 on base. And that was before he hit the big home run today. The starting pitching they've got has been fantastic. I don't know that you can continue to count on Adam Wainwright to do what he's done, but as long as he's doing it, you got to keep riding him. I think Flaherty is infinitely better than what he pitched in the first half. I think Michaelis is a way better than what he pitched in the first half. I think the bullpen is strong and could be stronger at the deadline, but most track record in the bullpen's not great. I still think that adding one more starter is the way that they make themselves the favorite to win the division, whether that's moving Martinez to the rotation or trading for somebody. But I think the signs are there that they might possibly be turning it around, but I'm so scared to get my hopes up because I feel like every time I get my hopes up, they go on a five-game losing streak. And I'm, I just don't want them to go on a five-game losing streak so I specifically watched the entire game yesterday when I knew they weren't going to hit and I knew they weren't going to score any runs just so I could temper my excitement and hopefully prevent the five-game losing streak. So you're welcome. By tempering my expectations, they won yeah. today. So that's all because of me. I, uh, I like the way you said that. You can definitely, over the last six games, see the roadmap to the postseason. And I, even in April when they were winning, when they went on that stretch, I didn't feel like I could see it. And I know that that's crazy, but I didn't feel like I could exactly see how it was all going to come together. And they've lost some valuable uh, pieces on, on their, you know, on the road to the postseason, not having Ozuna and, and you know, uh, starting pitchers not doing well and getting people hurt. But even in April when they were hitting, I, I just didn't, feel like I could see how it was all going to come together, even when it was coming together. And I feel like this is the first time where I can kind of see it. And I don't know if that's a, a damning of Matt Carpenter. I, I think it's probably more to the points that you're making, where I just feel like we're going to see a more normal Flaherty and Michaelis, and I think that's going to push them further than we could have hoped. You know, And, and also, again, I'll probably end up living to eat this, but this is the Tyler O'Neill that we've been talking about. This is the version of Tyler O'Neill that we've seen in the minors. The guy who can hit the ball over the right field wall. The guy who will put it over the second baseman's head on the line uh, who is still looking to hammer the ball to left field as hard as he can. And I think just his presence alone 
and what he's done uh, since being everyday left fielder, even though Ozuna was doing something very similar, I think that's helped liberate Paul Goldschmidt a little bit. I, I, I don't think it's like a full-on thing, but I, I just think having him in the lineup has changed it. And when I think about that and I think about Marcelo Ozuna coming back, the, the offensive potential there, again, and expect slumps out of O'Neill. He's the kind of hitter who's going to be really streaky and really slumpy. That's just that's that type of hitter. That's what they do. You just got to kind of deal with it. You got to adjust on the fly so you can't let him hit fourth when he's two for 25 with 16 strikeouts. Like he's got to move down in the lineup. Uh, but it just like I, I, I can actually see the starting pitching doing what the starting pitching is supposed to do. I can see the bullpen reserves. Uh, but I'm with you. I definitely think that getting, oh, finding a way to get Carlos Martinez back in the rotation would be amazing, or at the very least, getting another starting pitcher in there. You know, I, I think we all got really excited about Daniel Ponce, Daniel Ponce de Leon, and you know, now like today, not to say it was all on him, but we definitely saw the dangers of relying heavily on Michael Waka and Ponce de, Daniel Ponce de Leon. You know, they're good fourth fifth starters, but sometimes success is helium with that type of pitcher, even though we love them and we think that they're great. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, but I like that. I like that uh, that outlook on it. I still think you need either Ozuna or Carpenter to be productive for them to make the playoffs, and not that they have to be the best version of themselves, but I think one of them has to be productive, along with Tyler O'Neill, along with Paul Goldschmidt, yep. along with all the guys, and, and DeYoung getting back on track. Gosh, that'd be huge. We don't even really talk about him because he's played such good defense. Um, at shortstop, it's kind of hard to get too worked up over his lack of offense because there's really no replacement in the organization for his defense. I, guess, I don't know, maybe Edmund. But DeYoung has played a tremendous shortstop, so you, you can't take him out of the lineup. If he gets going, if you get either Ozuna or Carpenter back and they're productive and O'Neal just does what we think O'Neal can do, I think they have a good shot. I do think it would be nice to see Mr. DeYoung get one day off a week for like the next one day off a week. Uh, uh, like you said, get Tommy Edmond out there. Uh, I think that he's been, uh, it's a long season. And I, I think that now would be a good time to get him like just one day off a week. And then, you know, you get into August, middle part of August, the September stretch run, he plays every day like he has. But he definitely looks fatigued up there, and he definitely looks like he's pressing. The ball is not jumping off the bat like we've seen in the past. Uh, that's usually a good sign that he's just not like physically there right now. And I'm with you. I just think, even though he's he's become a very very well above average defensive shortstop, even though he's an anchor in the lineup, the goal should be to get him a day off a week for just like four weeks, just for four weeks, just one day off a week. That's that. I think that that's a very valid point about how important it is to get Paul DeYoung moving. Yeah, that arm it's strong too. I mean, gosh, he just whips that thing across the infield. He really does. <laughs> he, he, he really does. And, that, you know, that's the other thing. Even if you get, like, 2018 production out of Marcelo Zuna, that's still that's going to work down the stretch if Tyler O'Neill's hitting. The Matt Carpenter is the, the wild card in all this. Uh, they can't have him in the lineup if he's not going to hit, and he can't be in the lineup right now. And luckily he's on the I.O., uh, and it'll give a couple guys a chance to kind of show what they have. Uh, and anything that they have is going to be better than what we've seen out of Carpenter, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, I really think it's, it could be as simple as it doesn't matter if Goldschmidt's hitting and if the lineup is Goldschmidt, Ozuna, uh, 
guys are, you know, stroking it hard, uh, as I choose my words very carefully. <laughs> uh, I, I think that if Matt Carpenter isn't hitting, and he's a, especially if he's at the top of the lineup, it's over. It doesn't matter. I agree with that. So this was fun. Should do it again. It was fun. All the time, but whenever whenever we can make it happen, we're going to try to do it, audience, we swear. All right. Well, this is another edition of Prospect Community Lean Builders. Thank you for listening. You can find Kyle's stuff over at Birds on the Black and also his Prospects After Dark. And I write occasionally at Cards Conclave. Um, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, do all the things, download it, delete it, re-download it. It's great for yeah. us. Anyway, this is another edition of Prospect Community Lean Builders. Thank you for listening.